Before we begin, if you're a movie maker looking to double the budget of your latest project, visit moviemaker.com MMPS for Movie Maker production services. We use our industry contacts to get you exactly what you need for half the normal cost. That's moviemaker.com MMPS. Welcome to Movie Maker and the industry podcast. You're listening to a very special crossover episode of both podcasts where I, Tim Malloy, host of Movie Maker, interviewed Dan Delgado, host of The Industry. When my wife and I took over Movie Maker almost two years ago, one of the best things that happened is we arranged with Dan to present The Industry. What that means is we promote The Industry everywhere we can, we tell people about new episodes in our social channels, we write articles about The Industry, and it's very easy to be enthusiastic about it because I was a giant fan of The Industry well before we were doing this, and a giant fan of Dan Delgado's. He has a special place in his heart for people who really shot for the moon trying to make great Hollywood movies and failed, which as we discuss in the conversation you're about to hear, is more than most people do. At least these people took their shot. Some of these stories are very strange. Some of them you maybe heard a little bit about before. Some of them are almost completely forgotten until Dan brings them back on each excellent episode of the industry. And so without further ado, here is my guest and your normal host, if you're listening on the industry feed, Dan Delgado. Dan Delgado, welcome to Movie Maker. For the uninitiated or for the about to be reborn into the industry, can you explain what the industry is? The industry is a documentary podcast that goes over lesser known or forgotten movie history. That's generally how I describe it. I, I, I think it kind of explains it. I, I'm not entirely sure because every so often I'll, re, I'll revise that line, but that's the line I toss out. I think once you described it as a documentary podcast, it completely opened, opened it up for me. I completely understood what it was from then on. And the fact that you're focusing on Hollywood, but kind of weird Hollywood makes it even more up my alley. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You always list it that way as some of the weirder decisions Hollywood has made. I noticed that when you do the write-ups, you use that line a lot. And I think the first time I saw it, I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> and then, the, the, But every time I see it, I always think, no, that really works. Maybe I should work that into my official description of the program because that's exactly uh, what it is. Even though it's not necessarily, you know, Hollywood as the monolithic entity, uh, you know, always applies because sometimes it's independent guys that are kind of outside Hollywood, people who yeah. want to be in Hollywood. But it does always apply as far as, you know, stranger decisions that have been made in, in movie history, I would say. We're counting everything from Oxnard to like Costa Mesa as Hollywood. For the, and also, if you're in the Midwest and you're making a monster movie in the 70s, you're also part of Hollywood for the purposes of my description. <laughs> Okay. Could you please name other cities that I don't know where they are? I would. <laughs> you are, of course, in Florida. Yeah, I'm in South Florida. That is correct. I am near the uh, I'm near Fort Lauderdale, if that helps anybody out. That's where I live. Did you grow up there? For the most part. Yeah, I was born in New York, but I've been here after the second grade. I've been in South Florida. And that's a OK. Time. Who were your parents? What were they like? Why did they expose you to so many weird movies when you were a kid? Okay, so I, I think that the best way maybe to explain that would be like my parents 
in a sense are almost irrelevant to to this. I you know as as a classic Gen Xer latchkey kid, I had two older brothers. So yeah. growing up, my parents were you know they were my parents, uh, good yeah. Puerto Rican parents. But I any movie information that I got or watching movies primarily happened thanks to my two brothers who would bring home movies to watch. I didn't go out to the theater so much until I was, I don't know, probably like 15 or 16, not because I didn't want to, just generally my parents didn't go very often. So, yeah, so that's yeah. generally where, where watching movies came in. Uh, my, my two older brothers, uh, my, my brother Eric and I, really were, were renting videos constantly throughout the uh, the late 80s early 90s so to give people a sense of what you were watching as a kid can you just list some of your favorite episodes that you've ever done okay so my favorite episodes all the ones that i've done for since i've been doing them for movie maker i really like those a lot i think all of the ones that i've done over the last year are better than the ones that i've done prior to that so i like all of those but uh, the, my favorite ones would be I did one on uh, the Medicine Ball Caravan, yes. which is this obscure, completely forgotten concert film that was uh, the idea was to kind of manufacture another Woodstock. And it's it, it, the story is so completely bizarre and ridiculous. It, it's one of these things where there's so many bad decisions that's been made right at the outset of, hey, let's hire these. French people who don't speak English to, to film all of these hippies. Let's give them drugs and let's put them on the road. And, and sure, it's going to work out wonderfully. No, it's a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> Blood Circus. I, I really like that one. The story of a guy who was a, a local infomercial, local commercial guy who basically sold fake gold chains, made a wrestling movie that has for for most people who are even aware of the wrestling horror whatever whatever that movie is cuz I haven't seen it which you can't see it right most people remember in those areas where those infomercials went or or I should say oh, where they ran they remember that and they remember that guy you know I actually had a conversation with a well-known drag queen performer yeah. named Peaches Christ which what a name. what a name he was somebody who grew up living near that family and knew those people and so he listened to that episode and got in touch with me it was like oh my god this is crazy because this is my childhood that you've, you've made an episode <laughs> about so those two are are among my favorites and wait one thing that that makes that one of my favorite episodes is you also got the creator of one of the two or three best tv shows ever David Simon, yeah. the wire creator, That's right. and the creator of Treme, and the creator of The Deuce, to talk about this ridiculous wrestling event, which he covered as a reporter for the Baltimore Sun. Yeah, that was really cool, actually. <laughs> I just reached out to him on Twitter, and it was, I, I think it was because, hey, look, I'm working on a story. I'm a reporter working right. on a story. He's a guy who used to be a reporter, worked on stories, so he totally kind of looked at me that way, I believe, in, in that conversation. That's why I'm, I'm positive that, that he responded to me uh, so quickly. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, so let me see that one. And there's, there's one that I did that's uh, called The Rebellion of Jama Fanaka about uh, this African-American filmmaker from the 1970s. 
And in the 90s, he ran afoul of the DGA. He believed that they were that, that uh, their practices were were essentially racist, that they were, you know, not not granting the right people certain yeah. privileges. God, I'm saying this so terribly. But he brought lawsuits. They were racists. Yeah, exactly. He, yeah. he brought lawsuits <laughs> against the DGA and ended up losing his entire career. And now he's just this sort of forgotten footnote. And so I, I like that one. And if anybody wants yeah. to check out his movies, he directed all three penitentiaries, right? Yes, he directed all three penitentiaries. He directed a movie called Emma May, which as I was recording that episode, anytime I would say it, I kept it, it occurred to me that it sounded like the the fighting sport MMA. So pronouncing <laughs> it, I, I remember just like MMA. Okay, MMA. Yeah. Well, if you liked if you like MMA, I can almost guarantee that you will love Penitentiary One Three Three. That's that. You know what? They should put that on the DVDs right now. <laughs> From the Penitentiary of MMA. Has, <laughs> Penitentiary Three has a fight between the protagonist and a little person who I think is named the Midnight. Is it the Midnight Bump? I don't. Um, I've, not, is, I've not seen. Oh, it's Midnight there. Thump. It's one of the most brutal, amazingly violent, amazingly great on-screen fights I've ever seen. Really, he's a great filmmaker. He really makes, in terms of making emotional movies that just push your buttons and that people respond to, he is great. So I, th- I th- those would be. I think those would be my favorite ones. I'm right there with you, and I'm gonna throw back. I associate your podcast very much with a period of my life when I was like six or seven years old and all of the shows that were on then, I felt like it was kind of a sad sort of depressing time for me as a six or seven year old. Um, And I think I definitely took refuge in TV a lot. Like just, just my parents weren't in a great place and things like that. And I think I benefited a little bit from like dad taking us out for pizza um, to try to make things better and things got much better. They got much better later, but I definitely have some sort of happy, sort of depressing memories of like watching the Dukes of Hazard at Straw Hat Pizza in San Pedro, California. And the episode that you did on Coy and Vance replacing Bo and Luke Duke was just a spectacularly well done episode. And it, you you talked to either Coy or Vance, I forget. It was, oh shoot, I'm pretty sure it's Coy, one of the... The other one is is no longer with us. It was the blonde one, right? Yes, he yes, he's still around. I think the blonde one was Coy. I, I don't know. Yeah, Byron Cherry. Was, that's his name. It was such a good episode. He was so good. He was so forthcoming and honest about it, and just like how showbiz works. I think people who like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and all the little indignities that um, <laughs> the DiCaprio's character endures would definitely relate to that. Uh, and it has such a great sense of place in the '80s. I also really loved the Lombada episode, the two Lombadas, oh, yeah. where you talk about the dueling Lombada movies. Like, how is there one Lombada movie, much less two Lombada movies? Exactly. And I'm, I have to think that in 1990, people were thinking that when they looked at the box office, when they were looking at their choices at the movie. Wait, there's two of these? How is this possible? I'm not even interested in one. It's bad enough that there's a movie about a dance. Like, that's a hard sell. It's like if they tried to make a movie about the Dougie, and then there's like, no, there's another Dougie movie. It's yeah. better. And like, it's essentially, <laughs> you know, it's essentially like one of them is kind of like made out of spite, also. It's like, I'm going to make one. 
because I'm mad at the guys who are making the first Lombada movie. Oh, yeah, that story is it's hilarious. Yes. So I really like the underdog aspect of all these stories, and I like that they don't always succeed. They almost never succeed in what they're trying to do. Yeah. But I feel like there's just joy in knowing that they did it and that they tried and it existed for a while. Is that why you want to tell these stories? I'm really fascinated with, with movies and with movie history. And anytime I learn the history behind something that, even if it's something that I, I don't like or, or even all that familiar with, just something about the, like, like what you're talking about, the, the fact that somebody went ahead and got together and made something and it existed at least for a while. Maybe it was ephemeral, but, but they made something and there it was. It was out in the world. Like that story of, of even if it ends in failure, and my honest opinion is that failure is inherently way more interesting than success. And that's maybe why I kind of gravitate towards things that don't really work out. And sometimes I think about it, like, God, I got to get a success story in here because just so <laughs> many, so many things go wrong. But you know, like the next thing I'm working on is not a success story. And it's, it's actually way worse of a, of a story than I thought it was. A lot of them end up being that way. Usually end up being like a way worse story than I thought it was going to be. You mean a worse story in terms of being more sad or worse in terms of it not having as good of an arc as you hoped? No, no. I mean, it, as, as things went way worse for the for the people involved than I realized yeah. uh, is is usually, um, you know, the story is is m- maybe bigger or, you know, I, I, I talked to somebody. Uh, I remember interviewing this one woman and she she only gave me very brief answers. Right. Yeah. When I was asking her about this, this one, ex- this one movie that, that she was in. And I, I realized that this was actually not easy for her to talk about. And I didn't. And when it was over, I, I remember thinking, I don't know why she spoke to me, because then I, as I was learning more and more, I realized, oh, she did not go through any kind of a good time while while making this. Um, was it one of the people who was maimed in the making of Roar? It's. It, no, it was not. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's a pretty good episode. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good episode. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I mean, it's interesting that people are willing to talk so openly about some of these things that are considered failures. Why do you think they do? I don't know. I think in some cases, people just want, they just want to, you know what? I think in some cases, like uh, I, I just did an episode on uh, this '70s kids movie, The Blue Bird, right? Yeah. And for for the the people that I interviewed in that movie, they're not going to tell you that it's a good movie, but they want you to know that hey, we were trying to make something here, so our yeah. intentions were good. You know, I got a call. The first time ever, somebody actually called me after they heard the episode and said, "Hey, I really liked the episode that you made, uh, you yeah. know, from my story." You know, so like I got, I generally get good responses from people because it almost like it it validates their 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 story, their struggle in a way, right? Like, okay, yeah. here's the truth, here's the actual story of what we went through that's here, as opposed to. Oh yeah, that crappy movie from the '70s that no one remembers, you know, as opposed to yeah. the the Leonard Maltin 
you know, review that might have, uh, you know, one star next to it in a, in a movie guide that has 5,000 other little reviews. Well, yeah, I feel like when critics or amateur critics or people on Reddit or whatever review a movie, they always just really savage it sometimes based on something like this person is horribly miscast. The whole movie is bad. You know, why would anybody have made this? Everyone in Hollywood is an idiot. And you realize that the colorist, the DP, the stunt coordinator, possibly the screenwriter, many of the producers, perhaps even the director did their best and may have done a really good job and something else interfered. I mean, maybe someone insisted that their, you know, boyfriend be cast in a lead that he shouldn't have gotten. Maybe someone insisted that, you know, this location be used because they got a tax break there. Like things go wrong that aren't the fault of the creators in many cases. And I like how sympathetic to the creators your show is. I I mean, it never makes fun of anybody for taking a shot and failing. Yeah, you you know, all right. Let me me tell you this little story. (laughs) Okay, so when I first kind of came up with the idea for this podcast, I was, I I had a radio show that I was doing that you were a guest on one time. And... I was talking about a movie that was called The Oogie Loves in the Big Balloon Adventure, which, <laughs> do you know this film? No, it sounds great. Okay, yeah, exactly. So it's got this ridiculous title. It is a kid's movie that has, you know, some sort of Teletubby-like characters in it, and it was released. It was like the lowest grossing wide-release movie when it came out in whenever it came out, like 2014 or, or, or whenever it was, 2015, something, somewhere around that, right? So for some reason, I was talking about my radio show, and it's just, <laughs> it's just me pontificating. And so I'm really kind of trashing this movie that I've, I've, I've not seen, right? And so I am ripping it because it's made by this guy, uh, Ken Weisselman. He released it himself. I think he might have actually made the Teletumbies. He had some other prior success with a, a children's show. So anyway, I'm, I'm criticizing this thing. And then I'm start, after the episode, I start thinking about it. I was like, hmm, maybe it'd be interesting to talk to somebody who made this to find out what was going on. So yeah. I found the screenwriter. And I said, hey, listen, my name is Dan. I've got this little radio show that I'm doing. I'd love to talk to you about Oogie Loves and the Big Balloon Adventure. And so what this guy does is he goes to my radio show to just to check it out. And, of course, he listens to the episode where I'm <laughs> trashing the movie. And yeah. so he responds to me. He says, you know, I will not speak to you. You are a mean person. There were good people making that movie. And yeah. you need to you know, reevaluate yourself. I forget. But he, like, yelled at me <laughs> in yeah. this email. And he was absolutely right. And so it, it did help to sort of change my perspective a little bit, especially when going into when I started making this podcast. Did being a creator and putting something out of your own make you more, I think you'd already answered this, but did you find that you were more acutely sympathetic to other creators? Because oh, yeah. you've dealt with like, yeah, I know this isn't the best audio, but here's what I was dealing with. Like there was a windstorm outside, the internet kept cutting out. There was a, we, this other person was, English was their second language. Like I really worked around a lot of obstacles to make it this good. And people will only think this sounds like shit. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Cause I was doing, I was doing a radio show. I should put it out. I was doing it from my apartment 
right? Yeah. And I it was initially on the internet, and then I got it on a few little public stations. Um, but in doing something from your apartment, and you don't really have you know a lot of equipment. But anybody who's listening, they don't know it's just a radio show. You know, maybe they're right. they're tuning into the stations that I can no longer remember that I used to say their names every night. And there there's okay, there's Dan. And God, he sounds like what's the matter with this guy? Why why does he sound so terrible? What's going on? Yeah. And you're right. I live in South Florida. There's constant storms. Just before I was yeah. speaking to you, it was storming outside. And so sometimes, you know, things don't go well. Sometimes audio isn't so so nice to you. So yeah, I'm absolutely uh, empathetic to creators for of of all kinds for things exactly like that. You know, sometimes things go wrong and it's beyond your control or it's just not the way you originally envisioned it. You didn't think it was going to be the way it would turn out. Yeah, I've kind of changed from shame on them for getting that made. They didn't deserve that to shame on me for not making something better if I think I'm so good. Like if I if I could make a better movie than uh, Transformers: Rise of the Fallen, why didn't I go do it? <laughs> go do it, big big mouse. Although I did totally trash the new Jean Claude Van Damme movie, um, The Last Mercenary, on another podcast I did recently, and I should probably just apologize right now. I'm sure every, I'm sure there were people who worked very hard on it and did a great job. Okay, I I will say this: trashing movies in the privacy of your own home is one of the great joys of life. So sure. I don't I don't want to take that away from anybody. You know, I've I, definitely sat down with with a movie to, and I've put it in and I said, OK, I'm going to watch this so I can laugh at it. Like I've definitely done that. I love doing that with my wife. We love watching the stuff and going to town, but it's rare that I'll then need to tweet about it afterwards. Oh, no, don't do that. It's it just feels like the worst movie still took so much hard work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just think of what everybody thought when they were going into it, right? Like day <laughs> one, Hey, everybody on that set was probably thinking, Hey, we're making a movie. Like that was probably the thought that everybody had that excitement of creating something. And if we're going to get something, it's going to be on the big screen. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so you have all this archival footage, you have all these great stories you have all these interviews in the can. Have you ever thought about making this not a documentary podcast, but making a documentary? Oh, wow. No. <laughs> that, that, sounds like a, that sounds like a lot of work. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what that would take. Uh, like maybe a, a, at one point, somebody mentioned it to me as a book. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And I don't that know what, good. again, that sounds like a lot of work. But it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should do something like this. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that yet, Tim. Yeah, now that you mentioned that TV show, documentary TV show seems like a good idea to me, too. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. I would watch your show. That's all I'm saying. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah. I, I'm glad one person, I, I have one guaranteed view. I could, probably, <laughs> I could probably get my mom to watch. She doesn't have to go to the movies to see it, so I can get her to see it. There you go, it's two. You know, the other thing I like about this as a podcaster and I guess there's so many people who are podcasters now, it's become a joke. But podcasting is one of the last broadcast mediums where you don't need any permission from anybody. You can just figure out how to put things up on Acast or wherever and get them out to the world. Is that kind of 
is that something that appealed to you about the stories that you're telling? These are people who did not usually wait for Hollywood's permission, who usually just did their own thing, who, you know, booked a wrestling ring and put on a ridiculous show for Blood Circus <laughs> without getting the proper permits, I'm sure. Okay, so, you know, I listened to a lot of podcasts, and I was, I think at the time, maybe, you know, so this is, I started three years ago or so, I was really enamored with Radiolab and the massive production that goes into that, into that, that show, right? Like, every episode is just some masterpiece of editing, and listening to it, I remember thinking to myself, gee, can I do something like that. I want to do something that sounds like that. And so yeah. that was one of the, 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 the reasons that I started the show was to see if I could do that. Can I teach myself to, you know, cut tape and throw music in there? And, and by the way, my show is edited nowhere near what Radiolab is, right? It's <laughs> like, please do not compare those two programs. But that was like the impetus of, of me doing a, a, a documentary radio show or podcast yeah so not you must remember this because i think of you as like the weird version of you must remember this <laughs> yeah it probably is the weird version of that that's that's right i mean i did listen to that show for i should say i still do listen to that show but um yeah no it was not necessarily that much of an influence on me to, to be honest even though i think that's a fantastic show yeah they're both hollywood um, but you're telling such completely different stories and completely different eras, really. Um, cause I do feel like you have a seventies, eighties specialty and maybe I should, I'm starting with that, with that idea, but is that even true? I mean, is that just in my head? Is that just the stuff that I relate to the most? That is, I would We're say both like mid forties, like most episodes are seventies, eighties, maybe there's a little bit of nineties. Um, I think these. I think the one episode is 2000s, and, and that's it. Everything else is like 70s, 80s. And I, I will tell you, the, the problem with doing episodes like that, I always want to have interviews with people. That's yeah. always the goal. There's a few episodes that do not have episode that do not have interviews. Those are my least favorite ones, right? Even though maybe they're okay, but I don't like them as much because you're just listening to me the entire time. Um, yeah. What the hell was my point? What was I talking about? Well, it's interesting because you're kind of salvaging stories that might be completely forgotten from the 70s. I yes. mean, getting these people to tape. This, this was my point. It's difficult to find people from these little tiny things that happened 40 and, and 50 years ago. So, yeah. you know, there's a story. There, there's a movie from, from the 80s that's this little tiny action movie, right? The, the whole thing is on YouTube. I don't, I'm going to guess no one owns the rights to it. <laughs> and <laughs> if you read about the production, and I've read a good, just one paragraph about what the production was for this film, right? And it sounds like the low-budget action movie equivalent of Apocalypse Now. They went to a different country. They, they had, like, uh, the, the equipment confiscated. There was an, act, an actress, and I think the screenwriter tried to escape the country and had to be brought back. It's an insane, like this one paragraph was completely insane. And so I thought, oh my God, I, got, I have to know more about this, right? Wow. And I've looked into it, and most of the people are, you know, they, they didn't go on to star in other major things, so they're very difficult to find. Uh, you know, I think the, the lead actress in the film 
I did find her, but I don't think she wanted to talk about it because she never responded to me. And then all of the other crew people seem to no longer be walking the earth. And they may have been involved in a kidnapping. Exactly. You know, <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. It's not like there's extensive credits for a lot of these people. So, wow. Yeah, I've got a lot of uh, stories that I've either started or looked into, and for one reason or another, usually so I can't get anyone to talk to me. Uh, I, I have not done them. Wow. Anybody who's listening to this and hearing of this show for the first time, is there one that you would recommend they listen to to start? That I would recommend that you listen to to start? Shoot. I mean, generally the the last episode would be yeah. okay with me. I, I like the one that I just did about the bluebird. It's the longest one where it's, it's a little over an hour, but the story of a U.S. slash Soviet Union co-production that was meant to be this big, giant deal. Like, it wasn't meant to be just some movie. It was meant to be this big thing that was going to be a hit in not only the U.S., but the Soviet Union, and it was going to kind of bridge the two countries and be this cinematic handshake that ends up not only does it just ends up completely forgotten, and it has Elizabeth Taylor and Jane Fonda and Cicely Tyson and Ava Gardner and George Cukor directs it. It's it's very <laughs> odd, right? It's just very odd. There's a, there's a lot of star power going on with this movie, yet nobody remembers it. You know, nobody knows this particular film. I like that story a lot. And that was now two episodes ago as as you and I are speaking. So I would go with that one. Wow. Um I could obviously talk to you for a million years, but I think that's all I got. Okay. That's all I got too, by the way. So that <laughs> Yuck. I hate how I laugh. I don't like when I laugh on the podcast. And unfortunately, Dan is very funny. He does not laugh on his podcast because the industry is much more professional than Movie Maker. So go check it out. This is normally where I would say subscribe to Movie Maker, but really this week, please subscribe to the industry. You know what? Subscribe to both. You can subscribe to as many as you want on Apple or Spotify. You know what you're doing. Thank you so much for listening. See you very soon. And thank you to my wonderful guest and my friend, Dan Delgado. See everybody back here real soon.